Uh, We are continuing our series in Genesis. We are nearing the end because we are stopping in chapter 12. But uh, today we're doing Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. That's where we'll be camping out. Hopefully you have your Bibles there with you. You can open up to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, Really, what we're doing here is not hearing me give a talk. We're, We're trying to camp out together in a passage from God's Word so that God can speak through it. So this is the most important thing we'll be doing is hearing it read, and you want to keep your Bibles open even as we study it, so we're hearing from God. Uh, Where you're at, if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You can be seated as we pray. Father, we've sung that we, we need to turn our eyes to you. It's true. All the things of the earth that, that dominate us can grow strangely dim in the light of you. We need your word. We need to hear your voice. So together we pray. We're uniting our prayers to say, Father, speak through your word. May these verses and and the truths you have for us in them transform us, give us ears to hear. May there be a mighty work of your spirit in our hearts and we're open to what you have to say. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Blessed might be one of the most used yet least understood words in the English language today. We slap hashtag blessed on all sorts of things. We we may even mutter on certain occasions that we're blessed. But how often do we stop and think about what that word really means? I want us to do that, and I think the most helpful way to answer what that word means might be with an illustration. Which of these two daughters is more blessed by her father. The daughter whose absentee dad flits in and out of her life. And yet when he does show up, he brings great presents or takes her out for a fun day. Or the daughter whose father lives sacrificially so that he can be there for her in her times of need, in her highs and her lows not spoiling her, but loving her immensely and unconditionally. I think we instinctively know it's the latter daughter that's blessed. Because to be blessed, truly blessed, 
is to experience all the benefits of a whole relationship with someone who's over you, someone who's looking out for you, someone who's enabling you to thrive. And if that's true, if, that's a, if, that's a, if we're getting close to the right understanding of blessed, then there is nothing we need more than the blessing of God to experience the benefits of a whole relationship with him, to have our creator, our heavenly father, be someone who's looking out for us and enabling us to thrive. It's actually, I believe, our most profound need. That longing for peace that longing for home which we all feel, that longing for a truly safe place, all that's just a longing for the blessing of God upon us. So understood like that, there's there's nothing carnal or awry about longing to experience God's blessing. We all know it's not wrong for a child to want a whole relationship with their father, to know his blessing. It's not wrong then for a human to want a whole relationship with their creator, to know his blessing. Indeed, that is what we ought to long for more than anything else. Now, we've started this sermon by thinking about what it means to be blessed because that's the key word in the passage we read this morning. You might have noticed it's there five different times. There's a blessing that's for Abraham or Abram and his people. There's a blessing for those who align themselves with Abraham and his people. And there's a blessing for all the families of the earth. Now to hear blessing like this, it's critical in Genesis because blessing has been fairly absent since Adam's rebellion rebellion in chapter 3. Besides one little glimmer of blessing in chapter 9, the word has gone missing since the fall. Humanity's cut off from God, floundering. And so... Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, come out like a fireworks display, blasting upon us, from, coming from out of nowhere with these blasts. Blessed, 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 blessed. And the structure of this passage is actually pretty straightforward. Verses 1 and 2 are a call for Abram to leave his land, his country, and his father to become a new nation with a new land, and a new great name. In other words, he's calling him to leave one identity wholly behind and embrace a new identity that God has laid out for him. And where do verses 1 and 2 end? You see it there at the end of verse 2? So that you will be a blessing. And then verse 3 gives a promise. 
God's hand will be protecting this new people. And where does verse 3 end? And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see how both sections end the same way? So that you'll be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that should clue us in that this passage isn't primarily about how Israel began. Yes, it's true about that. But this passage is really about blessing for the world. And how this man, Abram, and his line will be the conduit for that. I start by getting into that structure because my sermon this morning has two points. The location of blessing for the world and the pattern of blessing for the world. So I wanted, to see, I wanted you to see how this passage is driving at blessing for the world so you can see that these two points, the location of blessing for the world and the pattern for blessing from this world are exactly what our passage is doing. For a world that is in such need for blessing, this passage is just what we need isn't it? For us, us people who are in such need of God's blessing. This passage is just what we need this morning, isn't it? So let's listen. Listen well to the passage. And let's do that first by considering how this passage shows us the location of God's blessing for the world. Where, where do we go for rescue from this cursed world? Where do we go? What's the location we go to for blessing? Knowing the exact location when we're in trouble is critical. A year and a half ago, um, some 200 campers had staked out their sites at the popular Mammoth Lake Reserve or Reservoir in the Sierra National Forest. They were enjoying what they thought was an ordinary time of camping, and they awoke in the middle of the night with some terrible, terrible, uh, and a terrible situation. A rapidly moving forest fire had engulfed their campground. So there were no ways of escape. They all, at that point, knew that there was one place they could go to escape the flames, and that was the lake itself. They had one hope, one location they could go to for survival, a long pier that jetted out into the lake. So these 200 campers, some with burns, some with kids, all huddled on this pier, the location where they could be safe as they awaited rescue. It was a safe place, and it led to their rescue. They, they knew where to go. They went there, and there they found safety and rescue. Knowing location is important. Our world, in a sense, is engulfed in flames because it's been wrecked by the fall, wrecked because we are cut off from God and his blessing. 
But this passage, what it's doing is telling us the only place we can go to be rescued. Restoration, it's telling us, will come through this Abraham and his family. Blessing for the world is located here and here alone. And the passage is clear on that. It's explicit because it says that the world will either know blessing or cursing depending on how it orients itself to Abram and his line there in verse 3. But that message becomes even clearer within the wider structure of Genesis. I want you to picture the Bible like an hourglass. And then turn that hourglass on its side and take that skinny part in the middle and stretch it out. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 is the very start of the skinny part. Prior to Genesis 12, the Bible is telling the universal history of all the world. Our forefather Adam, knowing the blessing of, of being in God's garden with Eve, and then, of course, they rebel and reject God's one clear command and sin and death come in. And, and, and what you see in those first 11 chapters are what a mess that's been made by man and his rebellion. And it's a universal mess. But there is a glimmer of hope. Remember that promise in Genesis 3 that one would come from Eve's line who would, who would do something to undo this cursed situation. And so we see that hint through Seth and through Noah but all of that is universal. And then we come right here to chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And there, there, the universal story becomes a story that's focused on the story of Israel, that skinny part. It's the very narrow focus, and it lasts all the way through the Old Testament into the beginning of the New Testament. But why is there this focus, this skinny focus on Israel? It's because this nation, we're told, is the locus of blessing for the world. And it's not just 12, 1 to 3 where we hear that when we come to this point. It's echoed throughout the Old Testament. You think of figures like Rahab and Ruth who were not Israelites, but who God chose to show his blessing to. Or you think of a psalm like Psalm 67, which really is just a... It's just kind of a, a song inspired by Genesis 12, 1 to 3. And it, it's talking about how this whole intent is for all the nations to be blessed in this way. Somehow it's through this nation that the whole world will be restored to its right place with God. And that's why the whole world peers in at the Old Testament and studies it. Not because we have some niche obsession with an obscure little nation, but because this obscure little nation holds the key to our salvation. The location of our salvation is in Israel and his family. And as Genesis unfolds, we hear more, more about how it's going to come through this line. It's going to come through a king of the nation, one from the line of Judah. And then as the Old Testament unfolds, we'll learn that this, this figure is called an anointed one or a Christ or a Messiah, and he's going to come from the line of David. He'll be a forever king 
One who'll make all that's wrong with this world right. And it tells us, the prophets tell us, he will be our righteousness. And the prophets tell us that this Messiah will actually suffer in our place so that we could be healed by his wounds. And then the New Testament comes and the Messiah, the Christ Jesus, comes. And he fulfills it all. So much so that the apostles declare, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. In other words, you can try and go and fight your way through the forest fires of this world. You can try and save yourself. It'll do no good. But what you can do is run to the one safe place, the pier in the middle of the lake, and there find your rescue. The Bible makes clear This, this is the one place, the only place to find God's blessing. In the line of Abram, in the line of great Abram's greater son. Friend, you need rest. I need rest. You and I need rest. God's blessing. You and I need a safe harbor in this world. And God says, Jesus came and he said these words, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. That's Matthew eleven twenty eight. Blessing for the world through this one nation. Blessing for the world through this one people. We need to know where the location of blessing for this world is. It's in Abraham's line, and ultimately, it's in his son, Jesus Christ. But this passage doesn't simply tell us the location of blessing for this world, as I said. It also reveals to us the pattern of blessing for this world. In other words, it is important to know the location of the blessings in Abraham and his offspring, but we need to know how to access that blessing. And there's a pattern that teaches us about that. Once we get onto the pier, how will we actually be rescued? And God intended for this passage to lay a pattern for how we receive God's blessing. And we know that is his intent because he tells us that. So I think of New Testament passage like... uh, Romans chapter 4, which is explaining how the blessing came to Abraham and the way it did. And it says, the purpose, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. 
Or Galatians 3, writing about this very passage, says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. I bring us to those two passages because the New Testament is clear that this passage, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 of Genesis, serve as a pattern for us on how we are to access God's blessing. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time is just look at five ways, as quickly as we can, five ways this passage is a pattern for us today. And the first way it's a pattern is it shows us God's design for his kingdom. God, we know, is making a people for himself. I remember back when I was in university, um, this passage, Genesis 12 through 1 to 3, um, was used to help me understand how the whole Bible fit together. And, and, and it's because I saw in that, or I was taught in that, how it holds God's design for a kingdom with three key elements. God's kingdom has a people, a people for himself, a place. And for that people in that place, there is God's blessing. People, place, and blessing. And that becomes a rubric that's given to us that can kind of unlock the whole Bible for us. So you think of Eden well, that's God's place. And you got God's people in there and they're enjoying God's blessing. But what does their sin do? It cuts them off. They have to leave God's place and therefore they're cut off from his blessing. And then here in Genesis 12, God constitutes a new people, Israel. And he promises them a place, a land. And that people in that place will know his blessing. And that becomes a prototype for the ultimate and most real place of blessing, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, right? The new Eden that we see pictured at the end of Revelation. And who will be there? All God's people, all who have faith like Abraham, gathered there, enjoying his blessing for all eternity. So wherever you're at in the Bible, you can just kind of stop and look for the pattern that's been taught here. How does God's kingdom work? He's making a people for himself and a place and that's how they experience his blessing. So Genesis 12 shows us God's design for his kingdom. Secondly, it shows us that we are called to be a distinct people. You notice that command Abram that we looked at? He's called to leave three things, right? His land, his people, and his father. That's a pretty significant call. You might not know a lot about where Abram came from. He was from Ur of the Chaldeans. And of course, they had left Ur for a little bit and were settled in Haran. But my alma mater, the University of Chicago, had a, a small but really profound little museum on its campus called the Oriental Institute. And in that museum, there was an exhibit called The Treasures of the Royal Tombs of Ur. And there you could go and look at all the rich opulence of the land of Ur. Abram had known that. He and his father's house were wealthy, wealthy enough to set out on their own. And so they'd settled in Haran. But 
Abram is not being called out of this terrible, horrible situation. He's being called out of that opulence. He's not just called away from something, though. He's also called to something. So he was called away from those three, three, three things, and now he's called to a new land that God promises him. God's going to make him a new nation, and he's going to give him a new great name. You see, God is taking him out of that to form something new, a nation and a, and a people who are clearly founded by God and meant to reflect God. So God says in Exodus 19, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, he says this to Israel, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, he's calling them, he's constituting this new nation. In Leviticus 20, he says, you shall be holy to me, for I, Yahweh, am holy, and I have set you apart from among the nations to be my own. Leviticus 20, verse 26. You see, God's saving plan involves setting apart a people for himself, distinct from the other nations, distinct from the world. And that call has not changed today. I think of Titus 2, which says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify a people for himself who are zealous for good works. That's why God, that's why Jesus gave himself. Or listen to 1 Peter 2 and the way it echoes both Exodus and Leviticus, which I read earlier. God says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, listen, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God, glorify God on the day of visitation. You see it? What God was doing then was a prototype for what God is doing now. Church, when God offers his salvation to us, it's not just some get-out-of-jail-free card that we can grab and then get on with our life. It's not what God's doing in this world. That's not why he sent his son, Jesus. He is making a new people a new humanity, a new nation. 
And when he saves us, he's not just saving us from our sin. He's saving us to something. He's saving us to be God's very people, a reflection of him, a people who are zealous for good works. So can I ask you a question, church? How distinct are you? Would people look at you and get a sense for how different God's people are? Different in our morality? Different in our mercy? Different in our tenderness? Different in the hopes and desires that drive us? Different in what brings us joy? How different are you? This pattern of this passage teaches us that to benefit from God's blessing involves embracing a new way of life. It involves renouncing our citizenship in this foul and broken world and embracing citizenship in God's new kingdom. So that's the second pattern called to be a distinct people. The third pattern we see here is that we are saved by faith. The rest of the Bible make it even clear, faith alone. Think about the faith that was required of Abram. As we saw at the time of his call, it seems like he was sitting pretty. He was probably wealthy from the treasures of Ur. He'd settled in with his family, had his family around him. Likely, likely his life was very comfortable. And then out of the blue, with no no prior warning, God calls him to leave all of that behind and to go to a new, yet-to-be-revealed place. And God also tells him that out of his barren wife, who could not conceive... A great nation would arise. Think of all that Abram's being asked to believe. But as we'll see next week, Abram believed God's word. He trusted God's promises. He trusted what God said, even when it seemed unlikely. And that is exactly what faith is. It's taking God at his word and believing it. It's trusting on God and acting on that trust. Faith isn't saying, well, that bridge would hold me. Hmm. No, faith is actually going across the bridge. So when God invites Abram to partake in his blessing, he does so intentionally in a way that requires faith in his promises. In other words, it's teaching us that we gain access to God's blessings through faith, through trusting God's promises. And that's such good news. 
if you want to know God's blessings, you don't have to be good enough for God. You don't have to pile up a list of good deeds. You don't have to figure out a way to get into the top third of the bell curve of morality in order to know God's blessing. You don't have to look a certain way. Your family doesn't have to look a certain way. You just have to trust God and his promises. We're saved by faith alone. And that third pattern is closely related to the fourth, which is this. We are saved by grace alone. Notice that in Genesis 12, this is all of God's initiative. You don't see Abram first seeking God. God appears out of the blue on his own initiative and invites Abram into his blessing. And though it's true that the invitation requires faith, this whole passage is riddled throughout with God's actions. You can just look at the passage and count the number of eyes. Look with me at the end of verse 1. I will show you. Verse 2. I will make of you. And again, I will bless you. And verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse. It's all God. Not go to this land and then make something of yourself, Abram. And if you do good enough, then not trust me and then do more and do more. It's trust me and then see what I'll do. It's not just that God initiates it. It's that all the blessings that follow are from him. In just a couple chapters, God is going to take this blessing and codify it through a covenant where he actually binds himself to work for the good of his people. Salvation is a free gift from God from beginning to end. It doesn't have to be earned. It's of God's bounty out of the goodness of his heart. I want you to listen to me on this, this, what I'm about to say, because, because I want us to understand it. You can be saved not because of who you are, but because of who God is. Access to his blessing is available to you and to me because of who God is. He loves you. He wants you to know his shelter and his protection. And all you have to do is trust him. Will you come? So that fourth pattern, we're saved by grace alone. And the fifth and the final pattern we see here is we are blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. When God bestows his blessing upon someone, that blessing never is intended to terminate with them. From that person, springs of living water will will percolate up and flow out, bringing blessings to others. 
It's very clear from our passage where we see that pattern. I will bless you so that, the end of verse 2, so that others will be blessed. For those of you who are listening who are in Christ already, reflect on what are some ways that you see God's blessing flowing out of you and touching others. How has the forgiveness and love and mercy that you've been shown ripple out to others? And for those of you who are listening who are not yet in Christ, I invite you to come know God's blessing so that the reservoirs, reservoirs from which you draw to bless others won't have to be filled with your own waters. Instead, your resources, which, instead of your resources, which are finite and would leave you exhausted, you can have God's water, which is pure and unending. So come. Know his blessing so that you can be the kind of blessing to others that he intended for you to be. If the first main goal of our passage was to teach us the location of God's blessing, the second goal is to teach us how to access that blessing. It shows us the, the pattern of his blessing for the world. And so let me close where I began. What kind of blessing, what kind of blessing are you chasing? What kind of blessing do you long for? Do you want that dad who flits in and out of your life and just gives you nice things and a nice day every once in a while? Or do you want that more profound blessing of a whole relationship with your God. To have him protecting you, enabling you to thrive. For those who with me long for the latter, let us find our rest in Jesus. Jesus who shed his blood so that we could be redeemed from our sin. Jesus who made a way for us to be reconciled to our heavenly father. Jesus who loves us more deeply than we could possibly comprehend. See, our, our triune God is our safe harbor our place of rest, our blessing. And if we look anywhere else for that, we will inevitably be let down. Will you join me in prayer? God, these three little verses are so monumental in our understanding of all of what you're doing in this world. We've covered a lot of ground, but at the end of the day, it just is about where we find blessing. And we look to all sorts of different places for our blessing. But we need to run to you 
you who are merciful. You who love. You who are trustworthy. May we be people who find our blessing in you and you alone. Amen.